Welcome to Queued Up with Ziz and Pam. Today's episode is about soft skills. Why are soft skills critical to employers as well as your future of the workforce or your future within the workforce? Mm-hmm. It's, it's really a fun subject because 21st century skills, I mean, study after study, uh, survey after survey, linked, I mean, every major uh, thing we follow showing soft skills as the dominant skill for people getting a job, navigating life, and what are soft skills? Soft skills are our human skills. They are interpersonal relationship skills. They're the skills of critical thinking. There's the skills of uh, agility. All of these things are personal they are not learned by external uh, technical skills, which are still of value, obviously, but this soft skills is something that is essential for life, not yes. only work, but for life. Yeah, just, just going back to reiterate, reiterate the point, so to our audience, um, in a 2019 report, the study for human resource management found that 51% of its members so 51% of its members who responded to the survey said that education systems have done little or nothing to help address the skills shortage. And the top missing skills, the top missing soft skills are problem solving, critical thinking, innovation, creativity, the ability to deal with complexity and ambiguity, and the big one, communication. Yes, and I think in terms of uh, the innovation, Duncan Wardle, who spent 30 years with Disney, says diversity is innovation. When you are trained to think the same way, do the same thing, he calls it the river of thinking, you cannot innovate. Innovate requires so much diversity of perspective, thought, culture, everything to be able to break out of that river of thinking and be innovative. So diversity is innovation and we are not allowing that in our school system. So, so let's dive a little bit into that word because when people hear diversity, they're like, oh brother, here we go again. You know, I've, I've actually heard individuals say that. Do we need to hear one of those again? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think they're missing the point. Diversity isn't necessarily about a gender or a color, yeah. it's perspectives. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I've actually learned so, I, well, I'll tell you one of my best experiences was when I volunteered, it was a bunch of us students who went to, um, we, we were helping students who were non, they weren't able to perform at the level we were athletically. And um, I'm forgetting the exact title now because things have changed so much over the years, but, mm-hmm they were their 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 physical ability was limited and i learned so much from them because they had that mental drive they would not give up and the empathy they had for one another and i just remember when i was coming home on the bus i just was just tears flowing down my face because i had connected with a student and i was like wow she just didn't give up and we have so much, we're so grateful. I'm able to do all the things from a physical standpoint that she wasn't, but I learned from her. Oh, yes. And I, so I think it's diversity of thought. 
it's diversity of emotions that we all have different emotions about different things and but it is breaking out i think the main point with that and i and i actually kind of refute that that we focus so much on ex just very specific labels of color gender you know male female whatever it might be uh that we are not really looking at again that diversity is really the human complexity that each of us bring to the table based on our experiences all of this and that really we keep trying to do the same things we think that that's the safety is to conform and get into this river of thinking that everybody does and actually we quite frankly it's what we're seeing right now politically yes that people just follow who they follow that that agrees with what they think and they're not breaking out of that because they're right and it just substantiates it. I mean, we're all guilty of that. I mean, I certainly am too. But I think it's it's stepping back and challenging ourselves on that. But the soft skills really require experiences. To develop yes. soft skills, you do not learn this in a classroom, in a structured school system where you move by a bell and you raise your hand to be able to go to the bathroom. That will not give you this kind of self-motivation, uh, responsibility. I mean, the, the two things that we've had in the school system, again, that were pointed out in the 1960s by Viktor Frankl, we have apathy, lack of motivation, and we have boredom, lack of interest. This, and then the whole disengagements. I mean, less than a third or a third, about a third of students by the time they hit high school are engaged, which means two thirds are not engaged. They're just playing the game. That is not life. That doesn't prepare them. Well, and, and, and because of this pandemic going on, I think that's what parents are finding out as they have these conversations with their children and they understand like what's actually happening when they listen to their child say, you see what I mean now? And the parent are probably going, yeah, I, I get it now. Um, and, and we're not like, like anyone in the audience, we're not picking on you because we're all a part of the system that has allowed this to get to where it is. Um, so, it's, so it's interesting, Pam. I think we both have many, many examples. I, I'm looking at this article again, and, and it says the rise of automation means job candidates will need uniquely human skills. So that should be right in our wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. We just don't allow it. And as parents, I mean, it's interesting. I watch my daughters with their online schooling right now. They're, they're in college. And yeah, engagement, eh, you know, really not there. I mean, they're just sitting there. It reminds me of the um, Steve Jobs when he first introduced Apple and it was the screen with just sitting in front of it. And then they throw the, the hammer and break yeah. the screen. And that's what we need to do. I mean, in this is where parents need to come in because we have to be advocates for our children and to co-own their education. We have turned it over to an institutional structures and this is against the teachers are trapped and so are the administrators in the same institution. Institutions only focus on output. No matter what, they cannot nurture human beings. We do it at a corporate level, we do it at a government level, we do it in our school systems where we focus on uh, being these 
you know, uh, worker bees in this, this wheelhouse that keeps moving around on a hamster wheel to keep that machine going, but it's not, it's killing us. So how do we protect our children's space? And I had to do this because I did alternative for my children. I've always been a salmon upstream. I just decided that their <laughs> childhood was more valuable than anything school uh, could provide them. So I tried to do alternative school, which was still under the framework, but to allow them the time to have to play, to be bored, to pursue things that were of interest. And as they got older and went into traditional systems, I fought them on every AP class they wanted to take. I did not do the week-long test preps for SAT or ACT. I kept encouraging them to look at themselves and what they could give to the world, not what the world was gonna to give to them, which is what we tend to teach. It's like, what am I getting? What am I owed in a job? What am I owed in? instead of, wow, what's my responsibility to go out into the world? So my kids volunteered a ton. They spent time with their grandparents. They got part-time jobs. They were allowed to do their creativity. My, my middle daughter, she wrote a screenplay when she was um, 18, having never taken a class. And it's a phenomenal screen. It's absolutely, but it was who she is and just allowing that to flourish. And that was her job while she volunteered uh, one summer um, because she, you know, I did require that. But I think it's up to us to create the environments and determine as a family and with them what we all value. And for us, it was time. It was family dinner. It was them as a person to look respond to develop their responsibility for themselves and also their responsibility to their communities in the world. And, and that just, it made me think about, it. I was just having a conversation yesterday with a gentleman and um, you know, he's fairly, what do you, I think he's like 25, 26 years old. And he says, you know what I'm noticing? People and young people, kids are out playing. And he says, I remember I used to go out and play. We'd, we'd go climb up a tree. I'd fall out of the tree and mom's like, what are you doing? <laughs> but now that's happening. So in an, in an interesting way, you know, young people are learning how to communicate and play with one another again. Whereas back in my day, you know, it was, you were outside playing yes. and, and you, you play with the older kids. It was like what you said, that intergenerational, so to speak. So you may be playing with older kids and they teach you how to step into leadership because when it became your turn, you led the younger children. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe this, this pandemic, there are a lot of lessons for us to learn. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's going to be, I think that parents have learned a lot. Teachers have learned a lot. Uh, and the thing is, is that so much, so many of us uh, feel trapped in the system. And we talked about a few episodes ago, the grace that we all need for that. We thought we were doing the best thing, but the real issue is that we, feed the system. Yes. So we are all waiting for policymakers to change the system when that's not where systems are not changed at the top. They are innovation is disrupted from below, but we are individually able to navigate, especially today with so many different learning options to, together as parents and educators to create the kind of environments, allow the relationships you know, if teachers weren't spending so much time having to teach to certain tests so that it gives them the job security they need and it gives their children the culture accept cultural acceptance, imagine if they could do the kind of relationship building 
that they want to do. I mean, you don't go into teaching because you want to be a gazillionaire. You go into <laughs> teaching because you really care about kids and right. you really care about inspiring them to learn. The real uh, challenge now is that we have to shift from the teacher-directed learning to the learner-centered uh, engagement in learning. Right. And that is a teacher development issue. But I see teachers just really want, they don't want to be the cog in the wheel anymore. So, and they're just, they, I just feel so much compassion for them because they're, they're at the crux from the system standpoint and the parent standpoint. It's like, what are you doing? And they're like, I have no control over what I'm doing because you don't give me the professional responsibility, pay me, you know, allow me the time to do the kind of relationships that I need to have for, with my kids. And that is what we need to be doing because these teachers are invaluable for the future of our country. Right, right. So just a little segue, um, you know, in the same article, it, there's a student, computer science major, about to graduate from a college and was an introvert. And uh, he said, one of the things I quickly had to learn was to communicate in a professional environment. That was never taught to me. What's the formal way to write an email? Is an email the most appropriate way to contact someone? How do I have a conversation with my manager? So fortunately, because of an internship, this young man was able to learn those things. So when we go back to why soft skills are critical and, and why internships are critical and that intergenerational is because he was able to get that experience before graduating mm -hmm. and it allowed him to learn how to operate in a professional environment. Well, That's it goes so to that. Needed. It's so needed, but it goes to the 70, 20, 10 rule exactly. of learning and development. 10% is actual content. 20% is your social interactions and 70% comes from your experiences. I remember my first job out of uh, college and I was a finance and business economics major and I worked for Bechtel Investments. It was a big engineering firm and they had a real estate department at the time that was doing um, speculative buildings. And I remember my manager was this guy who couldn't really communicate. And I was like, wait, you're not doing what they taught me you were supposed to do, you know? And so of course we had to, I had to learn on the, on the job about all that. But I remember distinctly thinking, wow, this model that I was told doesn't apply in real life. And I had to learn on the job as we all tend to do. And so again, it's about breaking down the school walls and the silos and creating experiences and relationship opportunities and mentorship opportunities to allow those soft skills to be developed. They will not be developed in a structured classroom, in standardized schooling. It is the complete opposite of what is taught. So as parents, we need to step in and co-own, working with the teachers and the system to not feed the system, to decide that we are, and it's happening, because now there's so many different kinds, there's over 5,000 different kinds of schools. There's the Emerson Collective's XQ Super School. There's Getting Smart with Tom Vanderark that's talking about all these different forms of schooling and learning and bringing kids into the real world, place-based education, as they call it. Uh, there's the uh, Education Reimagined, which I follow a lot, which is talking yeah. about schools that, again, are learner-centered. We start with the human being. When you hear learner-centered, think human being-centered. That is 
the future of education, the future of adulthood, the future of being able to develop the soft skills is it starts with the learner, the human being. Well, and, and obviously the human being is at the center of all of this, despite the fact that AI, IoT, all of those things are, are coming upon us. Software, you know, like I, I mentioned a few episodes ago, Ford, all of these companies, Tesla, it's about software. It's not necessarily about hardware anymore, but they need individuals who can communicate, who can bring their humanness to these projects. Yeah. So um, are you finding that these alternative schools or these schools that are popping up, are they all over the country or are they in just a certain part of the country? Uh, there are some of them, obviously, they're more dense in, in some areas than others, but um, probably along the coast. But I mean, like New Orleans, it, their whole new system is all charter schools. They, they didn't go back to traditional schoolings after Katrina. But I think the thing is, is there's not one school that fits all children and or all family circumstances or what all families need. Uh, I remember when I was at NYU and one of my professors was talking about creating a building where the kids could get health care, get food, get whatever, uh, and, and be in school longer hours till like 4.30 so parents can work. And I thought, you just institutionalize children. <laughs> now, in some communities, that may be appropriate in, in areas of poverty where we really need to support the community. But these things don't belong in school buildings. It belongs in our communities. We just turned them over. We just said, oh, kids are at school, so we'll feed them there. Kids are at school, so they'll handle the, the mental health and wellness. Of course, we don't have enough uh, school counselors, nor do the school counselors uh, have the mandate to really help the kids emotionally. They, they refer out, but their job is academic. We've shifted uh, the focus from the health and well-being to whether or not they are academically performing according to this crazy average standard that's not even human. And so even in my area, so there was one in a, in a school of 3,000, one and a half school counselors, one full-time, one part-time, and seven academic advisors in a school of 3,000 students who are emotionally, people are having to do 504 plans, which in California, you know, it's really saying you're learning disabled, which again cracks me up because the learning disabled labels are the ones that are going out and getting the jobs. 35% of entrepreneurs are sick, right? right? We have uh, autistic kids that they're being hired by the Googles of the world and the Microsofts of the world because they can learn, they can focus on something so specifically and really, really go into it in a level of detail that is exactly what they need for the, a lot of the positions that they have uh, in this technology world. So learning disabled is such a dis, does such a disservice when in fact, it's the system that is disabled, not the children. Well, Pam, <laughs> you know, when we, it, it, it's no doubt uh, soft skills are definitely needed. Um, you know, I'll, leave, I'll, I'll share this as an example. My youngest child who went to an Ivy League college, but he, the college that he, he attended uh, was the number one college in the hospitality field. And because of that, 
part of the requirement of every student who graduates is they have to complete so many hours before they actually walk across that stage. And so, so a couple of things happened. One, he got thousands of hours of work and he learned like, oh, I like this, I don't like this. Uh, he learned how to operate collaboratively in a project with the actual hotel on campus where they worked. You know, not just like a one-time ordeal, it was multiple times. So they got the hands-on experience that's needed. And, um, and consequently, you know, he had a, a job lined up before his senior year started. Mm -hmm. And I just remember him telling me, you know, he, um, he had to go to an event, unfortunately, um, someone died um, who was uh, same age. And a lot of his colleagues were, were individuals who were looking for jobs. And he's like, whoa, that's, he, using his language, that's crazy, dad. They're looking for jobs. Yeah. It's, it, it was March and they're about to graduate and they're looking for jobs. And he said, just, he just was shaking his head. So he was a bit perplexed, but the point, the, the point is because of the internships and learning soft skills and working with other people and struggling and figuring out like, okay, I like this. I don't like this. That's a part of, of, of being a parent and uh, encouraging our child to get those experiences. Yes, and I think we're seeing actually some of the higher education systems uh, actually develop programs because they're seeing it too, especially for the in-demand jobs uh, that are changing right fast. So financial technology is called FinTech. And we're seeing, uh, like in Georgia, they, and also I think Ohio and one other state did what they call nexus degrees, which are two-year degrees where you spend half your time in the classroom, half your time in, or half your time on campus, half your time in an internship, an intense internship. And this is really the future. So I think yeah. this pause also for uh, colleges are now looking at really, I mean, this, this idea of eat time, that you have to have a certain number of hours sitting is ridiculous because every degree doesn't require four hours. And as a matter of fact, I mean, four years, uh, which actually doesn't happen in four years. Most people do five to six years because of, they don't know what they're doing and it's expensive and they're having to get loans and they're having to work and there's change all majors. sorts of things that change majors, like 80% yeah. change majors. That's an expensive place to have your kids go and discover what they want to do for a moment that may change because the thing is we're our economy, the jobs are changing so fast that the um, I wrote a blog about this uh, recently about preparing our children for the future about how fast these uh, jobs are changing. I encourage parents to look at Glassdoor and indeed the top 25 jobs from you know 2019, 2018, whatever, and look at how fast they're changing and the fact that many of them don't require a college degree and that they're in demand. They pay very very well. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, like what you just said. So companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google don't require a college degree. But what do they require? Experience. They require yes. you to have some, some energy that you bring to the table when you show up for an interview. Yes. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, so there's like 12 major companies and, and, and countless more. Yeah. Oh, no. I wrote a blog called Our Humanness is the advantage yes you know yes. and just talked about especially creativity uniquely human and creativity isn't art and dance people 
creativity is a doctor has to be creative. A doctor has to look at every patient. And interestingly, we've already done this in the medical field. We no longer standardize can, uh, cancer treatments, right? We look at the human being now in the medical field and we say, I say we, I'm not even a doctor, but uh, we look at the human being and we say, this is a unique being. What's the best uh, mix of things we can do for this particular human being that uh, will effectively fight their cancer? We also found out, much to my chagrin, that diets aren't the same for everybody. Yeah. Someone can go on a high protein diet and lose a ton of weight. Somebody else gains weight. Somebody else, nothing happens. That was me. But it's really, I think that we have to stop standardizing human beings yeah. because that is our advantage is to actually embrace the humanness. It's what's needed in the workplace. It's what's needed in our lives to feed our health and well-being. And I think that this gets to soft skills can only be learned in our interactions, human beings are open systems, right? open systems. We need to engage with others in different environments. So when we put ourselves in these closed silos, it leads to a lot of distress. And that's what, of course, we're seeing. We have to break down the school walls. We have to give the experiences. We have to expand the multi-generational relationships. We have to mentor up as businesses and, and parents. We have to inspire each other to co-own the learning and the education that can happen in museums and libraries and businesses and different types of, of collaborative online learning. Uh, it's, there's an exciting future ahead. I know, don't get me started. I keep on going. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great way to end. I mean, obviously soft skills are very important. Organizations, companies are telling us that. Uh, we just emphasize that. So if, if you, the individuals in the audience, want to learn more about that, I mean, no doubt, check out the resource page that we'll have up on our website, along with just go and check out what companies say they're looking for. I mean, you have, you, you have a platform like LinkedIn. They basically are telling you, hello, here's what we're looking for. Use the source, use it. It's a great resource. Yeah, and then also deciding. I mean, this is the hard part as parents because we don't want to be different. It's hard to be a salmon upstream. But as we inspire each other, we have to decide on the trade-offs of our children's time. Yes. So we can't do it all. They can't take five to seven AP classes, be on a traveling sports team, and go out and have experiences, okay? They will not be able to sleep. It still is doing life. It's not experiencing and engaging with life because this requires time and it requires time to sleep, gray matter, think about things. Uh, neuroscience is saying this. We have to process our day. You know, I think that the sleep alone from this pandemic period has been really beneficial to all of us to get back into, I see, I noticed the difference in my kids, you know, just yeah. being able to sleep. I mean, it's really... Um, it's really, really important. So it requires us to make trade-offs by looking at what's the highest and best use of my child's time today. Is it play? Is it going out and volunteering versus taking the AP test or getting tied into a um, testing prep program? But it's or a conversation that you have with them. Exactly. And we're talking co-owning and it's exactly. teachers, parents, and students exactly. co-owning the experience. Right? But right. it does start with the learner. It starts right. with the learner. Right. No doubt about it. So 
as always, we'd love to hear from you. If we said anything that just goes, oh my God, I can't believe they said that. Please share your comments. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. I mean, this is all about powerful conversations uh, that questions what it means to be educated in the 21st century. So again, Pam, thank you. Thank you to all of you who just listened. We really thank appreciate you. you being here on Queued Up with Ziz and Pam. <laughs>